his uh, family and him up in prayer tonight. And, and you have a need, you can let it be made known by an uplifted hand. Let's also remember the Salter family, uh, our brother, uh, authors, granddaughters, uh, husband's father passed away unexpectedly. I, I believe that's the connection. And I think they had his funeral today. Let's lift up that family. I think they may have owned a nursery, been staples in our community for many years. So let's lift up that family and ask the comforter of the Holy Ghost to come down and touch and minister. If you have a need tonight, just lift up your hand. The faith is here. The healer's here. The deliverer's here. Our faith has drawn him into this place. So what I would do if I were you is I would just lift it up as high as I could to the Lord right now. Father, you are able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Your power is available and accessible to us in this service. We invite you to come down and do what only you are able to do, Father. Move in this place. Touch. Anoint the word. Anoint the worship. Anoint the hearer. Anoint the altar service. Anoint everything, God. You are able, Lord, to do. We Give me some Holy Ghost-filled believers that will come right now. We're going to pray over this need together. In the name of the Lord, God, we ask that you would touch and minister in this place. Come on, stretch your hand in this direction. God is moving right now. In the name of the Lord. You may be seated. I want our ushers to come. We're going to receive our Wednesday night offering, our chance to give into the kingdom of the Lord. What a great, great time to serve the Lord. Father, we thank you for your power, your blessings, your mercy, everything that you have given us. We ask you to bless the offering, multiply it for your use and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Give us unto the Lord and he will bless you. A few announcements. Glenmore UPC Ladies Night Out, that's July 27th at 6 p.m. at Mitiera. Sign up out in the foyer. Also, Brother Craig has a little over 20 of the drop cards uh, for the media from the last two months. So we've got uh, about two months worth, over two months worth of media. That includes the revival with Brother Johnson and uh, the other services that we have had. Those cards will be available tonight. He's got them here. They are $20 a piece, and that is more sermons than you can go back and listen to. It'll take you a long time to get through all of this particular media. So uh, pick one of those up and uh, enjoy the revival that we had again and enjoy the messages that have been preached. Let God minister and touch you in a very powerful way. Sunday, we're going to be back here for a great time in the Lord on the 22nd of July, that's Sunday morning, Sunday night, 
if he doesn't get blown up in a revival somewhere else. Brother Robin Johnson is going to be back here that Sunday morning and Sunday night, and we're excited about that. I want you to go with me in the word of the Lord to the book of Mark, the 11th chapter and the 15th verse. And I believe that God is going to do some incredible. Brother, Brother Glenn, you're all right. You can stand for the reading of the word tonight. Uh, we're going to, uh, going to read a very familiar passage of scripture. And then I'm going to, with the help of the Lord, open up something to you that God opened up to me. And I want the Lord to have his way tonight. I want God's spirit right now to just calm the service. And what I mean by that, I feel a lot of turbulence in the spirit right now. And I don't know what you brought in here with you, but I want the Holy Ghost. I want Jesus to walk to the bow of the ship and cry, peace be still. And the winds become tranquil and the waves become placid like glass. Would you pray right now? God, I want you to calm the anxiety that I feel in the spirit right now. Father, I want you to calm the troubled waters of someone's soul. And let them receive the word of the Lord tonight that it may empower and help them to go forth and grow and be productive and prosperous in your kingdom. Mark 11 and 15, we're going to read down through verse 19. And they, they come to Jerusalem and Jesus went into the temple and began to cast out them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. And would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel through the temple. He threw them all out. I mean, he got rid of everybody. And he taught. Now, if I, if I came in here and, and started turning stuff over, you probably wouldn't listen to anything I had to say. But Jesus decided this was a teachable moment. And he taught, saying unto them, Is it not written, My house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer? Ye have made it a den of thieves. And the scribes and chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him. For they feared him. Because all the people was astonished at his doctrine. And when even was come or evening was come, he went out of the city. Now, Jesus did this twice. On two separate occasions. He didn't just do it once. He did it twice. Uh, the feeding of the multitudes. He did that twice. He did that once in Judea. He did that once in the Decapolis. But this particular incident in the life of Jesus has very great significance to his mission and to his message. And it has much significance for us today. And I want God to open our hearts to receive what the Lord would have for us. So just, just, just put your hand on your heart or on your head or lift your hands up, but I want you to pray for yourself right now that God would open your eyes and see that there's one way, there's one system, there's one process to be saved. It's not a million. Jesus did away with every other method. There's only one door to the sheepfold. There's only one way, one truth, one life. And I'm thankful that we have access to Jesus and his blood and his power tonight. God, anoint this word for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You may be seated tonight. There are four gospels in the New Testament, as you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 
These four Gospels work in complete harmonic congruence, and they have a singular purpose. And it is summed up in the final Gospel, the Gospel of John. In chapter 20 and verse 31, John says, These have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Now this encapsulates the entire reason that Jesus allowed these autobiographies concerning his life and his mission to be written. It's so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. In one place he says, how shall they believe except they hear? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And, and the Gospels act as a method of preaching to us the life and the ministry of Jesus. John tells us that the reason that the histories of the life and ministry of the Lord have been written is so that we may believe that he is the Son of God and that believing that we would have a life in his name. The four Gospels are designed as proof or evidence of the deity of Jesus or that Jesus was who he said that he was. All four Gospels are written for the same reason, to tell us that Jesus is not a mere man, He's not a mere prophet. He's not a mere religious leader, but rather he is the son of God. And when he declared that terminology, the son of God, any Jew understood with clarity that term, the son of God, to means that he shares the very nature of God himself. He is God himself. So when he would speak that word, they understood plainly. There was no ambiguity. They understood that Jesus was declaring that he was God in flesh. Eternal life comes to those, the Bible said, who believe that, who act on that. But you can't believe that unless you have evidence. And the evidence of the deity of Jesus Christ is contained in the four Gospels. They are all present that evidence to us. And this is what Mark wants us to know, as did Matthew, Luke, and John. And so Mark begins his Gospel in a very powerful way in verse 1 of chapter 1 by telling us that what we are about to read is the beginning beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ the son of God and starting in verse 2 he begins to amass the evidence that this pronunciation is true there are some people in history and even in the world that we live today that will tell us that Jesus was just an influential man for a brief period of time in a very small part of the world and anything but that is the case you and I know that he is God robed in flesh and the proof is unmistakable we have come to know that proof we have come to believe that proof and we affirm our faith in him and that's why we gather to worship on this Wednesday or this Sunday in his glorious name so as we study the gospel of mark the evidence is overwhelming to us we will acknowledge it because we already know it to be true the spirit of god confirms it in our hearts but to those who are still not believers the evidence is still overwhelming he proclaimed nobody ever denied any miracle that jesus performed no one denied a miracle or the mass of miracles that he did not even the people who resented him the greatest and hated him the most could deny his miracles. They never denied his authority and his power over the demonic forces of hell. They never denied that. 
And so without being able to refute his teachings, without denying his miracles or denying his power over the forces of hell, you might be uh, of the assumption that they believed in him, but they did not believe in him. In the fourth chapter of Mark, well into the story, well into the evidence being laid out, not written but seen and experienced by the disciples who were following Jesus, they asked the question when he walks to the front of the boat and he cries, peace be still. They looked at astonishment and said, what manner of man is this that even the winds and the seas obey him? In fact, throughout all the gospel of Mark, you never find one instance where any disciple calls him the son of God. In chapter 8, verse 29, Peter says, you are the Christ, you're the Messiah. Uh, but in Mark's gospel, no one says you're the Son of God. Until the 15th chapter and the 39th verse, and of all things, the one that declares Jesus is the Son of God is a Roman pagan soldier. There is a testimony in the early part of the gospel that Jesus is the Son of God. It comes from heaven when he said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. This is a testimony from chapter 1 where the devil says you are the Holy One of God. There's further section before us in chapter 3. Another demon rises up and says, this is the Son of God. Heaven knows He's the Son of God. The devils know He's the Son of God. They all know, and, and, and Mark lays out what the other gospel writers believe, the evidence for all men that Jesus is the Son of God. And when you say the Son of God, you are saying God robed in flesh. But in spite of all that evidence, he is rejected by the nation and executed as a criminal. They refused to believe. The miracles didn't make them believe. The signs didn't make them believe. The devils didn't make them believe. I want you to understand that there is something very powerful in the signs. But there are people, if they had a miracle a day, it wouldn't be enough to keep them in the church. You've got to know with a revelation in your heart and your spirit in whom you have believed and be persuaded that he is who he said that he was I believe that's why Pentecostal worship is so anemic in our churches for so many services because we really don't believe what Jesus said about himself but I believe I'm a part of a church that believes who he said he was because we gather on Sundays like this past Sunday as worshipers to make an open confession that he is the Christ we gather as a church to exalt and worship the Lord Jesus Christ he's the object of our our worship both personal and corporate we worship not only collectively here but we worship personally we are those who believe that he is who he said that he was day by day hour by hour we sing his praises we obey him we express our love to him he is the son of God he is our Lord he is our master he is our sovereign king he is our redeemer he is the object and the source of our greatest joy in fact although we are not in heaven yet 
We are a part of the redeemed and we on earth replicate what you are doing right now is going on ceaselessly in the portals of heaven as I preach. You remember in Revelation 5, there's a scene in heaven where you've got the throne and, and, and gathered around the throne are the saints and the angels and the focus on chapter 5 turns toward the Lamb, the Christ. He becomes the object of the glorious heavenly worship. They adore Him in heaven as the Lion and they adore Him as the Lamb. And on both counts, they are right. And they sing His praises forever and ever and ever and ever and we do the same thing here on earth though we're not yet glorified in heaven we still offer him the same worship that he receives from the saints who are in his presence around the throne we adore him as the lion powerful, majestic, deadly to his enemies and yet the same time we worship him as the lamb meek, humble, risen from the dead he's the lamb that slays the enemy he is the lamb slain by the enemy and he slays his enemies he bought our eternal salvation as the sacrifice he conquered all of our enemies with his sovereign power and we compose a kingdom of worshipers who will reign with him forever and praise him forever and so those who know him and love him and possess eternal life gather in heaven incessantly to praise him and then we gather on earth collectively to come together and sing our praises to him. How have we come to praise him alone and to worship him alone and to trust him alone and to him alone put all of our hope as the redeemer and the savior? It's because of the testimony of the scripture that we read and we believe what we have read. We get an insight back in chapter 2, verse 21 and 22, when Jesus said, No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the patch pulls away the new from the old and a worse for the results. No one puts new wine in old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins. The wine is lost in the skins as well. But you put new wine in new wine skins. What Jesus is trying to teach these people who have lived for generations under Judaism is that what I'm about to do in this world, you cannot attach it to anything else that's been done. You cannot take this new wine and pour it in an old vat of religiosity. You cannot take the new thing that I'm going to do and connect it to something old. It won't work. Behold, I do a new thing, says the Lord. And you're not going to be able to take what you've done in the past and mix it with what I'm doing in the future and mix it all up and get salvation. No, I'm going to present to you a new and a better living, lasting covenant. What Jesus is saying is the message that I bring 
cannot be connected to Judaism. You can't sew them together. It can't be contained in the bottle. It's completely separate. And this poses a massive barrier for those people who are hearing him. Because Jesus never offered himself as a reformer, simply wanting to reform the old way of life and make it better. He didn't come as one who was saying, you've got a lot of things wrong with your worship and I'm here to fix them. No, he came to do away with the old man and the old life and the old way. He came to abrogate it. He came to nullify it. He came to bring an absolute end. In fact, he came to divide time, B.C. and A.D. You've got this time over here, but now you've got a whole new set of time over here. A new covenant's going to bring an end to the old covenant. It's going to bring an end to the dead, apostate Judaism that, 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 that has failed Israel for all of these decades and centuries. He came to end religion, and since the arrival of the work of Jesus Christ, Judaism is a dead religion. It's unacceptable to God. You can't follow the old law and be saved. You've got to do what Jesus said had to be done, and you've got to do what the apostles said had to be done. Jesus ended the Old Testament covenant era. He ended the shadow government. He ended the shadow religion that pointed to life and pointed to salvation, but never gave anybody life. It never gave anybody salvation because nobody could be saved through the law because nobody could keep the tenets of the law. The old covenant said that there was life, but you couldn't get it because you couldn't obey it. The old message was that sinners must come to God, but sinners couldn't come to God because Jesus and God, this, this spirit was separate from the sinner. The sinner couldn't get there. Paul called the old covenant a ministry of death. God is over here and you're over here and God is holy and you can't be holy therefore you can't come to God but when Jesus cried it is finished the veil was rent from top to bottom and where you couldn't go before you can go now and what you couldn't do before you can do today He set it up to illustrate it with his temple. You had the outer court where anybody could walk and go. They called it the court of the Gentiles. Even the Gentiles could come in there. And then you had the inner court where only the, the chosen ones of God, the ancient Hebrews, they could walk there. And then you had the, the holy of holies where one day a year a high priest went for the briefest of moments on the day of atonement and hurried out as fast as he could. So the old covenant said there's eternal life, there's forgiveness, there's salvation there's heaven, there's intimacy with God, but you're not going to get it through this system. You see what made the acceptance of Jesus so difficult meant that they had to forsake who they were in order to be the person that God wanted them to be. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? The reason they could not accept and embrace Jesus was it meant turning their backs on what they had been taught all their life and embracing a new way and a new life. Isn't that what we had to do? There were people that didn't agree with it. There were people that didn't like it. There were people that said we were crazy and we were turning our back on our heritage. But when we saw Jesus and felt his power, we knew we got to go with 
where he is. I've lived this way all my life and I've never felt clean. I've never felt holy. I've never felt the power of God's acceptance. But now, When Jesus began his ministry according to the gospel of John, the first thing he did was go to the temple at festival time and make a whip and threw everybody out of the temple. And one can hardly imagine the sheer force of a personality. Now listen, that temple had thousands of people trafficking in it. And, and those people saw a side of Jesus that day that I believe the world's going to see one day. He literally, with a whip, there are guards there with swords and shields and staves. And Jesus drove even them out of the temple. They didn't want to mess with Jesus. He put them out and he said, it is written, my house shall be called of all nations a house of prayer. But you've made it a den of thieves. I mean, they allowed one man to do that. I mean, they had a lot at stake in there. That was the place where tens of thousands of people were milling around. The Sadducees, the chief priests, the high priests were running a den of thieves, an operation where they were scamming people. They had this thing called the temple currency. And you had to take your Roman currency, which was unclean in the eyes of the high priest, and you had to go in there and exchange your money for their money. Of course, for a fee. And people were traveling from far, far, far away. And it would be hard to carry all the necessary sacrificial implements and animals with you. And so they said, we'll, we'll take care of that for you. You can buy all of that from us. Had a high markup. It's like going to a ball game, you know. We were talking about that earlier. The same Coke that you can get at Burger Inn for a dollar cost you $12 in there. That's what they were doing in the temple. You can't get this anywhere else, folks. A t-shirt, you know, that'll cost you $5 in the store. It'll cost you 30 in there because you can't get it anywhere. This is ours. And that's what they were doing in the temple. And Jesus drove them out. There were a lot of reasons to resist the efforts of Jesus to clean the place out. But that's not what happened. No one could withstand his power, and literally he evacuated the place. He was striking a blow at the heart of the old way. He said, this has nothing to do with my father. This has nothing to do with the spirit of my father. And at the end of his ministry, this happens again, the last week of his life. He comes in Jerusalem, the Passover week, and he goes in the temple, and they're doing the same thing here that they were doing three years ago. And Mark tells us the story in 11 and 15. He said Jesus struck a blow to the heart of Judaism and temple worship. And through the years, this has been called the cleansing. You ever heard this? The cleansing of the temple. This is where Jesus cleansed the temple. And I thought about that. And I've used this phrase a lot during the years. And it's not really a good phrase to use because this is not a cleansing of the temple. Jesus wasn't saying... you. You know, if we can just clean this up a little bit, then, then things can go on like they should. If we can just get this kind of activity washed down a little bit, if we can just fix some of the aberrations, if we can just clean out just some of the corruption, 
hey, 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 guys, this temple really does have a future, you know, but we got to do it the right way. Listen, when Jesus arrived, he didn't say the temple had a future. In fact, he pronounced judgment on the temple. He says the temple has no future. That was not a cleansing of the temple. That was a pronouncing of judgment on the temple. And this is the last week of his life. What did he say? He said not one stone that's here is going to be left upon another that cannot be cast down. And in 70 AD when Titus overthrew the temple, Herod had overlaid the inner part with gold. And they set it on fire and the gold would melt and run down in the cracks of the rocks. And the soldiers would take their swords and their shields and they would pry the rocks apart to get the melted gold that had run into the cracks. Jesus pronounced judgment on the temple. He said, not one stone here is going to be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. And that was what the Roman soldiers did trying to get Herod's gold that went down in the cracks. I want you to know, Jesus didn't come to clean up the Old Testament religion. He came to offer a better way. He said, the Bible said, now he hath provided some better thing for us. The Romans came in and smashed the temple down. No more holy place. No more holy of holies. That was an act of God's judgment. That system was done. It had failed mankind. No matter how hard they tried. No matter how many lambs they killed. Oxen they slew. It didn't matter. Man was hopelessly broken. And the system was broken. He was giving them preview of coming attractions and it happened just like he said he said don't even bother cleaning it up it has no future there was no future for the temple there was no future for the ark in fact the prophet prophesied and said there's coming a day when you're not going to say bring us the ark you're not even going to remember the ark anymore I'm telling you that day is here he said there's coming a day you're not going to worship on Mount Gerizim or you're not going to worship in Jerusalem the father is not looking for ceremony he's not looking for temples made with men's hands what know ye not that you are the temple of the Holy Ghost and it dwells in you anybody thankful that I don't have to go to that place that place came to me There's never been another sacrifice that God has accepted. You could go out right now and get you a lamb. You could find the most spotless one you could find at the auction. You could find a lamb pure as snow, cut its throat, burn it on the altar for your sins, and it's not going to do one thing for you because that day is over. Now the blood that has to be applied is the name of Jesus to your life in baptism. I told you around here Sunday, the Bible said in Leviticus that the life is in the blood. But I just read to you in Mark where it says that the life is not in the blood. We have life through his name. Something happened when you got in the new covenant how do you get the blood applied to your life he just told you the life is now in the name if you want the life you gotta get the name without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sins you don't get baptized so people can look at you and say well they've made a public profession of their faith Peter said repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins life is in the blood life is in the name 
name. If you want to get the blood, you've got to get the name. If you want your sins washed away, you've got to get the blood. And you get the blood through the name. It's not a law. It's not by works. It's not by ceremony. Salvation is through the blood and the name and the power of the Holy Ghost. You got to come to Him and you got to believe that He is. And you got to believe that He's the rewarder. What is? That He is who He said He was. That He is the Christ. That He is the Son of the living God. He is God robed in flesh. I don't care what you got to turn your back on. People say, well, I can't turn my back on this. Listen, you will never turn your back on anything harder than Peter had to turn his back on, than John had to turn his back on, than Mary had to turn her back on. They had to turn their back on literally generations of, of word that came from the mouth of God. But he said, I'm giving you a new cup and a new covenant. I'm giving you my blood and I'm giving you my body. The lamb won't work. The blood sprinkled won't work. You've got to have the blood applied to your life. Just stand up and lift your hands and praise God. I want to tell you that your church won't get you to heaven. I'm standing in a church telling you that your church won't get you to heaven. The Bible says, the book of Acts, that the Holy Ghost was poured out in the upper room. 120 were gathered in this place, this upper room. You can still go to that upper room now in Jerusalem. It's still there. But I don't find anywhere in the book of Acts or anywhere else in the Word of God that Peter, James, John, Matthew, Paul, Bartholomew, uh, uh, any of them, Barnabas, I don't find where any of them took anybody back to the upper room. Because the Lord wanted us to know that the church is more than just a place. The church is my people. And wherever my people gather together, he didn't say where two or three are gathered together in my church, I'll be in the midst. No, he said you can get in a living room, you can get in a storefront where they used to sell shoes or fertilizer, you can get in a crystal cathedral, you can get in a football stadium, you can get in a baseball diamond, it doesn't matter. All you got to do is get two or three that will gather together in my name and here I am I'll come down right in the middle of you if the government knocked this building down tomorrow the same Holy Ghost you feel right now we could fill out in that field with blankets and folding chairs because this thing is not about a building it's about a God who's got blood and a name and a spirit Everything that man builds will be knocked down. Everything that is erected by humanity is going to melt with a fervent heat. 
but upon this rock I will build my church. What is the rock? The, the rock was not Peter. The rock was not Simon, that fisherman. The rock was the revelation that Simon gave. He said, who do men say that I am? And, and they said, well, some say you're Elijah. Some say you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Some even say you're John the Baptist risen from the dead. But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter said, he said, look, I believe that you're the Christ, the son of the living God. That, that one that come down out of heaven, that's you. He said, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona flesh and blood didn't reveal it unto you but my father which is in heaven and now I say unto thee that thou art Peter and upon this rock not Simon Peter but upon the revelation that Simon just espoused that Jesus is who he said he was we're going to build the church not on Simon Peter we're going to build the church on the revelation of the mighty God in Christ you want to know what the book of Acts church was built upon it was built upon repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost and the church is still standing today you know why the devil hates Jesus name people so much because no matter what he does he can't overthrow the church he can't prevail against the church he can't stop a church that knows who Jesus is So how do you end a message like this? I'll tell you how we're going to end this message tonight. We live in a world that is consistently and ever and always trying to attach us to the systems of this world, the thinking of this world, the belief morals of this world. We live in a, in a world that all they try to do is pump it in our kids and pump it in our homes through our radios and our phones and our TVs and our every, they trying to, the media is awash with this secular society that's trying to tell us that we're all part of the same thing and we're all going to the same place and it doesn't matter if you believe in that tissue holder or if you believe in Muhammad or if you believe in Buddha or Jesus. It really doesn't matter. But what I'm telling you, we need to do more than ever as the church is we need to turn our back on every world system that is built by man. And we need to declare that there is a new way that we've got allegiance to. And we pledge our allegiance to the blood. And we pledge our allegiance to the cross. And we pledge our allegiance to one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And we pledge our life. We'll give our life if need be but we're not going to walk away from this tenant that is burned in our hearts we know who he is you've come too late to tell us he's just a good cat you've come too late to tell us he had just a few good ideas for a bygone era we believe his word is forever settled in heaven we believe his power is still the greatest power that the world will ever know and we're holding fast They have come too late to convince me a man or a woman with an experience is never at the mercy of a man with an argument. I finally told a guy one day, 
he just he just kept on, kept on, kept on. And everything I'd say, he just ignored. And he'd spout off some kind of theology burped out of the bowels of hell. And finally, I just stopped him. I said, have you ever lifted your hands and all of a sudden felt that tingling that hit you in the top of the head? And then all of a sudden your hands start to tremble and your face goes a little numb. And then all of a sudden you feel something welling up on the inside of you. And then that tongue just starts rattling off something you've never. He said, no, I haven't. This was right after Matthew got the Holy Ghost. Four years old, I believe, three or four years old. I said, well, let me tell you what I saw Sunday night. I said, I saw a baby that can't hardly write his name, repent of his sins. I baptized him in Jesus' name. And I watched him stand there with his little hands in there. I said, nobody could teach him that. He's too young to be bilingual. Nobody could teach him that. I said, but when the Holy Ghost came in, that tongue went to rattling, and he went to speaking in another language. I said, I'm sorry. We're just going to have to agree to disagree. But I've already experienced it. And I've already seen thousands of others experience it. And you've come too late to tell me that it isn't real. I know it's real. I feel it in my hands. I feel it in my feet. It's all over me. It's like fire. Shut up. There was a guy one time that, that left this and started preaching that it wasn't necessary to have the Holy Ghost. And I just point blank asked him. I said, you know what? When I hear somebody stand up and tell people that the Holy Ghost isn't for them and they don't have to have it after they claim they've been brought up in and experienced it, I said, you know what? It makes me believe that you never really experienced it at all. I said, because if you ever get what I got, you're never going to stand flat-footed and look at anybody that's addicted to meth and addicted to cocaine and their life's in shambles and tell them, oh, that's not for you. No, for the promise is unto you and your children and to all that are far, even as many. I want you to come out of your pew and come down to this front. And I want you spiritually to begin to unattach, detach everything that the devil is trying to put on your mind and your heart that would sway your commitment to this, folks. We've got to be more sold out to this than we've ever been in our lives. I want you to lift your hands and say, God, I'm just a pilgrim and a stranger passing through this world. This world is not my home. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. Come on, let's love him right now.
lift your hands all over this place and just say, God, let the blood wash over me again. Let the blood wash over me again. Let the blood wash over me again. When I was just a kid, some probably close to 30 years ago, we went and heard, went to Texas and heard old brother Stone King, and she wasn't 30 years younger then. And he said somebody had sent word to him that you know, he had declared he was always going to preach this message and not another message. And he said, he said, you, you tell him that I said that there's going to come a time when he will change what he's preaching because he's going to need money. <laughs> and he said, well, you go back and tell him for me that if I have to preach this message to the squirrels that live behind my house, I will preach this message. And I won't preach another one.
There will always be a place, even in a world that seems to have turned its back on anything that has anything to do with God. There will always be people that come to the end of their proverbial rope and they don't have any more answers. And somebody will tell them about a man called Jesus. And the gospel will set them free. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation. There is no salvation without the gospel. There is no salvation without the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And that same thing happening to you and happening to me. Jesus had to die. That means I got to die. How do you die? You repent. You lay that old man, that old woman on the altar, and you end it right there. But Jesus didn't just die. Jesus was resurrected. He was buried. That means I got to be buried. How do I get buried? We are buried with him in baptism, in his name. Jesus got resurrected. That means I got to get resurrected. What is the resurrection? If that same spirit which raised Jesus from the dead dwell also in you, it will quicken. You're not getting out of here without that, folks. You can, Mason, he tries to jump, you know, and he really can't. He, he does like this. He tries to jump. There's going to be some people on that rapture day doing this right here. They ain't going to be getting off the ground. You got to have that Holy Ghost in you. Got to have that Holy Ghost in you. You jump all you want. Care if you can dunk a basketball, you can't jump high enough to meet him in the air. You got to have that resurrection seed in your soul. And we're going to see that happen around here more and more and more frequently. Because we're going to preach it. And I don't care if everybody else decides they're not going to preach it. Guess what we're going to preach? Then we'll just be the only church doing it. That means they'll have nowhere else to go. That's how I look at it. Yes, come on, let's love him one more time. God, I'm disconnected from this world's systems. I'm disconnected from anything, God, that's not you. You believe God is here. I feel him right now. Oh, I love you, Jesus. Sunday morning, 9.45, Sunday school class for everybody. We got a class for everybody. And then 10.45, we're going to have a great time in the Lord, excited about what God's doing. Find five, six, ten, twenty people, shake their hand, hug their neck, tell them it's great to see you in the house of the Lord. God bless you. We'll see you back Sunday morning. Have a great rest of your week.
Lord, for they will never be disappointed. Blessed are they who wait on the Lord, for they will never be ashamed. Wait, my soul. I've come to tell somebody today, wait, my soul. Don't be hyper. Don't be anxious. Don't be restless. Wait on the Lord. You prayed the great promise of God, now wait for an answer. That's one of the great battles of our faith. It's where many of us lose out with the Lord because we don't have the strength, nor the discipline and the depth of faith, not only to ask, but then to wait for the Lord to answer. Listen, it's one thing to have faith to ask God. It's another thing to have faith to wait for God to answer. It says in Isaiah that the time of God's grace, His day of showing favor, His day of showing his power is surely going to come. I want you to know your answer is on its way. God heard you the first time you prayed it. The, the writer said that there's going to be a season in your life where you're going to find the favor of the Lord. It will come. It will happen. There is a time for God to do great things in our lives. But how many of you would acknowledge, like me, you're the type that doesn't like to wait? We go to a restaurant and we want the food on the table before we even order it. We want the server to read our minds telepathically and know that we need a refill before we ever need a refill. We're just getting close to needing a refill. We don't want to wait. And I want you to know today, this is what the Lord's dealing with me about. It's deadly for you to live that way when it comes to things of the Lord and spiritual things. Wait on the Lord. Don't give up believing. Because there are two bad options that we get caught in when we are in this process. When we pray for direction about anything, a relationship, an open door for ministry, times when we are in a season. So we ask him, God, show anybody ever done this? God, show me what to do. God, tell me what to do. Uh, do I move to the right or do I move to the left? The problem is that if God doesn't answer right away, we take it into our own hands. Anybody know what I'm talking about? We say, We'll fix it, God. I, I prayed about it. I don't see God doing anything, so now I'll fix this thing. I'm smart enough to make a decision here that affects my family and my ministry that God has for each of us. We don't wait. We want to take it into our own hands. And the whole time we're in this process, Satan's whispering in our ear, look, you got to do something. Come on. Don't just stand here. Do something. Don't. What are you waiting for? Come on. Don't just, just get through it and make something happen. And then we take it out of waiting on God and we make a bad situation even worse come on haven't we all done that in our own lives it takes such strength of our faith to wait and that's why the psalmist is pushing himself he's telling himself look I know I'm going to see the hand of God I know God's going to reveal this power unto me but I need to push myself I need to remind my soul I need to get this in my heart that Lord I need to wait upon you because because they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They will mount up with wings as eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. I've got to learn to wait on you, Lord. Sometimes the greatest battle you will fight is waiting on God. 
It takes such great strength and character to wait on the Lord. And all the forces of hell are against us in this time, trying to push us here and move us over here. And, and the Lord is telling us, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. There is a moment. God has a moment for me. A time of favor, a day of favor when He's going to answer my prayer. He's going to heed unto my petition. He's going to hear me when I call. But here's the deal. I can't quit. I've got to hold on and wait until the Lord moves for me. Because the Lord heard me the first time I prayed. He heard us the first time we called. But now we have to wait and see what the Lord will do for us. The other danger that befalls us is when the answer doesn't come and we're in a season of waiting on the Lord. And here's the one that I've struggled with. This is the feeling that overwhelms us when we are in a season and we've prayed and we feel like God hasn't heard us and he certainly hasn't answered us. Is that we have a tendency to want to give up. I've seen this happen. I've seen this happen in ministry a lot of times. Well, we have this plan and we have this profile laid out and we've got this template of how this is going to happen. And then when it doesn't happen on our time frame and it doesn't happen the way we think it ought to happen, then all of a sudden the devil pushes us into a place where we give up and, and we think, God, this, this, is, this is not how this was supposed to be. This is not how this was supposed to come out. And I've seen that happen Listen, just just look at this church. I've prayed for 11 years for the season that we are in right now of God's favor. And I've fasted for 11 years for this season that we are in right now. And my parents have done it longer than me. They've worked more than I have. They've been here longer than me waiting for this season of the visitation of the Lord. And there have been many moments when we would go home on a Monday and it seems like we were doing more harm than we were doing good. And that there were more people leaving than there were people that were coming. And we were losing more people than we were winning to the Lord. And there was a tendency in the back of our mind to think, well, maybe God's promises aren't going to come for us. Maybe they're for another church and another time. And maybe somebody else could come in here and do a better job. than we. And there were people that were telling us that. You need, to, you need to let somebody else come in here and let them. They can do better than what you are doing. But I thank God every day of my life that I didn't give up on what God put in my heart and what God said. David said in one place, he said, I will wait on the Lord and I will see what the Lord will do for me. Sometimes you just got to get a hold of the word and hold it close as tight as you can and say, I'm not moving until I give God ample opportunity to move on my behalf. I'm not moving until I see what the Lord is going to do. There is this passage in Isaiah that literally says he works for those who wait for him. Those who quit waiting and tell the Lord, God, if, if you're not going to do this for me, then I'm going to do it for myself. That's so prevalent in American Western Christianity. The other option is what preachers face where I just want to quit. I want to give up. It's not happening like I thought. 
Uh, I told a preacher one time, we were talking on the phone, and he was ready to give up. He was ready to leave. He was ready to move. And he had his timetable, and he said, you know, I thought in six months we would be right here, and then after a year, this would have happened, and, and nothing was going according to his schedule. And I said, can I give you a little wisdom from experience that you throw that template out the door. You can throw your timetable out the window because God is more interested in building his church than he is building your church. God's more interested in doing something with those people than, than you would ever be interested. I said, throw that junk out the door. I want to tell somebody here that's battling discouragement and battling the spirit of wanting to quit and wanting to throw in the tile. Let me tell you, just wait on the Lord because he is faithful. Come on, you can clap louder than that. He's faithful. He's faithful. Here's the attitude that you and I must have if we're going to really wait on the Lord. The attitude you must have is this. The Lord must help me. The Lord must help me. In other words, I don't have a plan B. I don't have an alternative. I don't, I don't have an option. You see, if you have a plan B, you'll resort to your plan B. Many times we're praying, and we're praying for this over here, but already we formulated plan B in our mind. And if God didn't do this when we think he ought to, then we've already got plan B lined up over here, and we're going to do this our way. We've got plan B figured out as though God is not faithful to us. Uh, you've got to have this attitude. I must have God's help. Listen, you've got to do this, and it's got to be done by God. It's not an option. There is no other option other than what God is going to do. They came to David, and they're saying, David, you can do this. You can do A. You can do B. You can do C. But David, you've got to make a decision. And he said, uh-uh. I'm going to wait right here until I see what the Lord is going to do for me. I must have God's help. And this is what God is just wringing my soul with because through this process with my son, Mason, uh, we've got a lot invested in this. And, and what I was praying this morning, I was thinking, you know, this church family's got as much invested in this. They're going to shout as much as we are when God does this, this thing in his life. They're, they're going to they're gonna dance and be as, as joyful for, for him as we are when God does this thing. And, and in my in this whole process, we've invested all of this time, all this energy. But I told God in prayer recently, what I've discovered is this has nothing to do with him. This has nothing to do with him. Because every time I pray, the Lord is reminding me, this is my place of learning to wait on you, God. Because I don't have any other options. I don't have a plan B. And every time we've tried to formulate our own plan B or C or D, God has shut the door and said, no, you're going to wait on me. And you're going to see my hand and you're going to see my power. But it's not going to happen when you want it. It's going to happen when my time and my spirit move on this situation. 
And what we have to do, it's been the hardest journey of my life, is this waiting where it's either God or it's nothing. It's either God does this or it doesn't get done. It's either God moves or nothing happens. There is no plan B. And I've come to tell you, you've got to feel that way. You've got to reach that place in your own life where either God, you move, or nothing is going to happen because I'm not going to move. There is no plan B. Forget plan be it's plan G it's God's plan it's God's word it's God's timing I want you to stand with me this was my prayer I said God there is no situation that's too big for you There are those of you who have been in this process and you've asked God, Lord, what do I do? Where do I go? How do I move? Do I go to the right? Do I go to the left? And what God is beginning to do in your life is he's beginning to reveal to you that this is the time. And I I don't want to get out of the will of God right now. I don't want to I don't want to step into a place where I'm not authorized to tread. You understand what I'm saying? But I feel in the Holy Ghost that it it may not be me, but there are some people here right now that God is bringing you out of that process. And it's been a long, protracted day by day, week by week, month by month. And God has given you a connection to this church. And you feel it in your heart. You feel it in your spirit. You feel it in your soul. When you walk in here, you feel a special connection to this church. And God is going to do some amazing things in your life inside these four walls. God's going to give you direction that you've waited for years and years and years to receive. And you absolutely know what I'm talking about when you say, I I haven't waited on the Lord. I've tried this and I've tried that. And I've tried this and I've tried to push this door open and I've tried to pry this window open. And I've tried to go around the back and see if there was an alternate entry where I could move into this place. No, no, God is opening the door for you today. I feel that in the Holy Ghost. What you need to come down to this front and pray is, Lord, I'll do what you want me to do. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll say what you want me to say. There are people in here right now, you feel like that I've eavesdropped on your conversations. You feel like somebody's told me gone behind your back and told me some things that you've talked about. I'm telling you everything that I'm telling you right now I got from the Lord. You need to put that thought out of your mind. The Lord is speaking to you right now. God is talking to your heart right now. And I want you to come down to this front and I want you to say, Lord, my soul has been in this process, but I'm not stopping I'm going to follow you where you say go, I'm going to go. 
If you say move to the right, I'll move to the right. If you say go to the left, I'll go to the left. But God, your hand has got to be upon my life. Your hand has to be upon me in a powerful way. Your hand has to be upon me right now. They that wait upon the Lord shall receive a renewing of their strength. Sometimes the only answer for you is just to lean on the Lord and let God restore your strength. Well, I need to do something. No, that's the devil talking to you. The Lord has led you to this moment in this place to hear this word. You come to hear this preacher tell you God is faithful. He's never forsaken you. He's never abandoned anybody. God has never left anybody hanging. God has always stood by your side. Wait, my soul, upon the Lord. Put your hand on the shoulder of someone close to you right now, and I want you to pray with them. God, I know that you are for me today, God. You are for me today. I don't care what the devil says. You have not abandoned me. You have not walked away from me. You have not cast me aside. I don't care what the enemy tries to get me to believe. You are still standing right by my side. And you will never leave me. And you will never forsake me. And so right now, I stand in the only place that I know to stand. My heart is fixed upon you. My mind is focused upon you. I pull your word close to me and I believe that I'm going to see. There's going to be a season where you are going to begin to move into my life. There's going to be a harvest. There's going to be a fulfillment of all of these promises. God, I'm not going to die with, with promises left on the table, with chips left on the table. I'm not going to die that way, Lord. I'm going to see everything you told me I would see if I don't give up, if I don't quit. Don't let me quit, God. Somebody, somebody take authority over discouragement right now. I, I'm not going to quit. Quitting is not an option. Quitting is not an option. I'm, I'm, I'm not stopping because you are on my side. You are on my side. You are for me. You are faithful. You will never leave me. You will never abandon me. I stand on your word today. I stand on your word today.
I want you to find, our ushers are coming, but I want you to find two or three people, and I want you to encourage them in the Lord. Whatever God speaks into your life right now, just encourage them in the Lord. God, encourage us. Encourage us in the Lord. Encourage us, Father. Encourage us, encourage us, encourage us. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Tonight, while you're sleeping, Aaron's going to be wheels up to the Philippines. I want you to pray for Aaron this week, that God's hand will be upon him, that God would use him, and God would plant something in him that he would never be the same. Father, I thank you for this day, for your power, for your anointing, for your grace, for your mercy for your understanding of our situation. I ask you to bless this offering, our gift unto you. Multiply it for your use and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Please give to the Lord today. We're so honored that each and every one of you are here. A couple of announcements. Uh, Brother Johnson is scheduled to be here next Sunday morning and Sunday night. We're excited about that. Revival services on the weekend. And we're looking forward to a great move of the Lord. I believe it's the 27th. That's the women's uh, outing, dinner together, sign up out in the foyer so we can get a head count. We are thankful for what God is doing in this church. The power of the Lord. Uh, Sister Kelly, how many did we have in Kids Church Wednesday night? 43 in Kids Church. Brother Michael, how many did we have in... 15 in the teen class Wednesday night. Now listen, there are churches that would give their right arm to have that many total. And we've got revival going on in our, in our youth and in our children's ministry. Thankful for that. And what a time we had here Wednesday night. Tonight is going to be awesome. Lift up brother and sister Goins. Mom is going to be ministering tonight uh, somewhere else. Dad is ministering today somewhere else. And let's pray that God would lift them up and use them. We've got a baptism. If you want to be baptized in Jesus' name today, I've got good news for you. The water's ready. We're ready. God's ready to wash your sins away. You just come on up here, and it's going to happen in the name of the Lord. We've got some baptisms scheduled. Thankful for what God is doing. How many would join me in prayer at 530? For a great service tonight at 6 o'clock, we are going to have a time here tonight. We're looking forward to what God is doing. Why don't we give the Lord a hand today as we are dismissed. We love you. 5.30 prayer. Great evangelistic service at 6 tonight. We love you. We'll see you back tonight. God bless.